Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast. Good to be back for another post-match synopsis, match review. Um shit talking, I guess, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to, this is going to be an explicit content, probably um, episode. So I hope everyone's doing well. Of course, Cole Petum here, like I said, as always, and we are joined by Tom Nightingale as well. We're recording this at 7, 18 PM here in Canada in a very reflective mood on this Sunday. Of course, Villa lost two, one to wolves at Molyneux on Saturday. Um, I don't know if you want to call it a, a comical 90 minutes or what you want to call it, but uh, nonetheless, it's a, another result that ultimately pisses most of us off. So I can totally understand for the people that probably are not in the reflective mood, don't want to listen to anything Villa until we probably lose next week against Spurs or something like that. And it kind of goes even further down. But to those listening, of course, and to the consistent uh, supporters, we very do much appreciate your support and your time and all that kind of stuff. So, Let's go over to Tom next because I don't know what I want to say anymore. And I'm getting more angry just thinking about yesterday. So, Tom, how's it going for you? Yeah, it's one of those again where, like, I'm glad that we've had a little bit of uh, time between the game ending and us recording this. Because um, it was one of those, wasn't it? I don't think it was our worst performance of the season. It wasn't good, obviously, but I don't think it was our worst performance of the season. But it really was one of those, like, the universe is just tripping you up and laughing at you as you fall on your face. Like the two goals that we conceded, that double slip for the first one. And then, you know, I've been saying for a while, I can't wait until we see Ashley Young score in a Villa shirt again. But I wish I hadn't said that because (laughs) that wasn't exactly what I had in mind. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's just frustrating one. And again, just like, you know, I think we were talking about after the West Ham game before the international break, which feels like a month ago now. It's one of those, I think, that really just illustrates how big the gap is jumping from ninth, 10th, 11th in the table to even top eight, let alone Europe, like bridging that gap is going to be a monumental effort. Um, And I think we saw that again, really this weekend. Yeah. And for me, like people can say it's about player quality in terms of bridging that gap. And I I think yesterday showed there's a mentality gap too, and we have a long way to go. Um, Yeah. Um, Let's let's get into the goals here quickly. Of course, like I said, it was a two-one loss. So of course, um, Wolves' Johnny scored through um, whatever I could say is. And sorry if there's kids listening. A clusterfuck of a moment. As soon as McGinn slipped, I thought, "Oh crap, they're running on goal." And as soon as Kansas slipped, I thought, "This is going into the goal." Of course, 
Um, I mean, great blocks in between that time before it went in, but you know what? You can't be conceding that. That was in the seventh minute, of course. And we all know what happened shortly after that, about 20 or so uh, minutes um, after. We have Ashley Young coming on, of course, in the 13 minute for Luca Digne. Um, hope your stomach is feeling well, sir. Um, I never want to be in that circumstance myself, and it's a little embarrassing. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, it's good to know that he's not hurt on the long term. Um, Ashley Young, beautiful header. I thought it went wide initially until the commentator said, oh, no, um, two nil down. You're thinking, oh, my God, this is getting bad. And to be honest, Tom, it could have been probably five nil at halftime, couldn't it? Yeah, I mean, I genuinely thought we were in for there was a there was a period where I thought we were in for a real um, humiliation, I have to say, because it's just frustrating as well, because we started the game. I thought we started quite well. Wolves looked a bit shaky and we started all right. And then that the doubles, that goal giveaway. And then the double slip. And then, like you said, like two blocks and then a great finish in the end. But, and then we were so rattled, weren't we, after that? And then obviously Dina goes off soon after that. Um, second goal, like Ashley Young. I love, like, I love him. Great player. But I'm not sure he could be that accurate with a header, with a header on goal if he tried, right, at the right end. Um, I thought it was unfortunate, really. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get angry at him with that because it was, it was, quite clearly an extremely unlucky goal. Um, the, the the main thing for me is like, it's one of those games again where, because how do we set up in the end? I think sort of McGinn, a lot of the burden of the defensive work of midfielders put on McGinn's shoulders with Louise out and, and Sanson in. You say um, that though, but like, I felt like Ramsey suffered the most and I, you have such a talent there that can get the ball forward and like, yeah, you put Sanson in, of course, and we should mention that. And of course, Bailey started as well, which is definitely different to see. But when you're having someone like Jacob Ramsey slide in at DM at times because we're struggling so bad, that that's an issue in itself. But anyways, yeah. continue. I mean, I thought Ram, I thought the, our, our best couple of our best defensive moments of the game came from Ramsey, like on the edge of our own box. Because and it's it's one of those again where. It shows, obviously, we've been going on for months and months about the, the lack of defence midfielder, but like how many more times are we going to have to say it? Like, it's clearly going to be the main priority to address in the summer. Um, and But until then, you know, it, I sort of, you know, I, I don't really see, I feel a bit sorry for Gerard in that regard. Like, uh, well, I'm sure we'll get on more to Gerard like a, a bit later in this pod, but like the, the midfield thing is one way I do feel a bit sorry for him because we've got one proper defensive midfielder and he's been injured for the last however many months, marvelous Nakamba. It's going to be great to see him back. Sounds like that's happening soon. But um, so then, you know, he's, he's, he's had to make the best of, you know, putting together a midfield, particularly when you've got like Coutinho and people in there where you need a really solid midfield base. You need at least one midfielder to do that defensive grunt work. Nakamba has been out. So then we've tried, you know, we've got to, make the best of the midfield selection we have left. We've tried Louise at defensive midfield for months. And I like Louise. He's a really good, he is a, he's a very good player. Clearly he's a good midfielder, but by his own admission and to, as you know, we can all see clearly, can't we, that he's not a number six as you would define a number six. And then, so then taking him out and having McGinn, Sanson and Ramsey, there's nobody in there who certainly is a, um, what's the word, like a bona fide you know, number six or defensive midfielder. Um, and you could just tell there's no, uh, no spine really 
I didn't think. I thought McGinn had a poor game, but it's because I thought he was being asked to do stuff that he shouldn't really be. If you know, ideally, you're not going to ask John McGinn to do that sort of stuff, be pretty much the heartbeat of the midfield and everything. Like I think it's most most of us, I think, are in agreement that McGinn seems to be at his best when he plays more of the role that he plays for Scotland, where he has a bit more freedom to go forward and that sort of stuff. Um, it was. I thought Sanson did pretty well. Actually, I thought he was one of our better performers. I know it's really slim pickings, um, but he's just so he's neat and tidy and so composed on the ball. I thought he had some good moments, um, but it's that thing again, midfield, but too, too soft in midfield. I know the early sub threw us off a little bit again, but I feel like we're saying the same things week after week, too soft in midfield. Gerard not proactive enough with the subs again. What we waited until the 70, 72 minutes, I think, to make the first tactical sub. Like, okay, he'd had to make one, which you wouldn't, you know, you, it's hard to plan for, but too slow, too, too, you know, not proactive enough, not taking the game by the scruff of the neck from the from the dugout, which you, you need to do, really. And then the other big frustration for me was Ollie Watkins, because he does. He is another player who's asked to do a lot of stuff. He has to do a lot of very thankless work, particularly when he's up top on his own. I mean, I know maybe you could argue that Bailey was playing as a sort of makeshift striker slash winger, you know, but like, yeah, essentially Watkins leading the line again on his own. Again, there were at points there were large gaps between him and anybody else. But the thing that frustrates me a bit is that Watkins, it's okay to have a striker who isn't involved that much in the game often through no fault of his own because we're not supplying the chances for him because we're not we don't have a good we're not we don't have a good enough midfield um so we're not supplying the chances for him or whatever but the thing is like if you're going to play like that and that's going to be the way that the game goes when you get those chances you've got to take them like we can't it's just, I love Ollie Watkins. It's not me necessarily saying that I think you know Watkins needs to be replaced or anything like that nothing too knee jerk but you can't afford for very much longer if you want to make the step up to being a European competitor. You can't afford for too much longer to have a striker who is drifting and out of the game. And then when he gets two big chances, clean through one-on-one, neither of them go in. He did its best to miss the penalty as well, didn't he? <laughs> um, and and it's, this isn't me saying that, you know, I think Watkins is a real cause of our, you know, our problems or anything like that. I just think his struggle, the struggles that we had sat- on Saturday with finishing, are indicative of, you know, the struggles that we're facing pretty much all over the pitch at the moment, like defensive lapses, not solid enough in midfield, not clinical enough in attack. And there comes a point where I know we're going to get onto this, but Gerard again, post-match seems to be the very thinly veiled threat of players being replaced in the summer through a big recruitment drive. It's It's all well and good saying that, but like we're a team full of international quality players like at some point you have to be looking at it and saying we should be getting more out of the group of players. And that, that gets tuned out eventually. Like you can only say that so much where your players and sorry to cut you off, but like at what point of you saying that, did they go, whatever, I'm, I know I'm going to play next week. Mm-hmm. Like, to, and I mean, you would assume that certain players probably kind of have some kind of know-how of, Oh, that could be in regards to me. Like he can make it very broad to us, but there's players in that staff that definitely know. Mm-hmm. And the biggest frustration for me, and we've said it, I don't know how many times this season. And again, we're a one half team. And yesterday Mm -hmm. was the perfect example of that. And you know what? Maybe it's bold, but we will never get anywhere even close inside the top 10. 
we will go backwards if that's how we continue for the future. You 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 can't make up any ground. You can't play 45 minutes, you can't play 30, you can't play 20 well and play the rest poorly. It's it, it's so frustrating because you think of co- of course unlucky things happen like the young own goal and all the slipping and things like that. And there was a lot of slipping yesterday, to be honest. I don't know if they just wetted the pitch in certain areas, to be honest, because it felt like that was happening all over the theory, place. My theory is that all of the oil they used to put on Adama Traore's arms <laughs> just found it sort of soaked its way into the turf. Well, Leon Bailey looked like Bambi like multiple times yesterday. He would look to take a touch and then almost slip and then basically bobble it from there. But again, back to the, the one half thing, the Jekyll and Hyde, I, like, I get it when we were saying this in the promotion season. The, the the talent wasn't there. The quality wasn't there. I can kind of understand it last season. You're looking to grow. People can kind of say that again. And I know there's that definition, and I've stood by it before, of, well, we're a mid-table team. That's what you get. But when do you learn your lesson? And I know people, and we've said this before quickly before we jumped on, oh, we'll look to the summer. We're going to spend big. There's going to come a point that we can't spend big every year. Like there's, I'm not going to say the owners are going to run out of money, but they're not going to want to pump that much money in every single year just to buy new players. And the the issue as well there as well is like with spending money every summer, like great, you need to invest in the squad. Like Luca Dini is a good example, clear upgrade at left back. That's good investment, opportunistic, take advantage of Everton's, you know, situation is falling out with Benitez. That's, that's a good move, opportunistic signing, right? But like, it's all well and good saying you're going to spend in the summer or whatever, but the problem is now you're going to perpetuate the problems by doing that. Because, okay, you might bring upgrades in, you know, higher quality players, but then how long are they going to take to bed together and gel again as a team? Suddenly you're looking at what? So hopefully we finally have a settled team by what? November of next season, if we're going to spend big in the summer, if we're lucky. And that's if you don't get injuries like we had at the start of this year. Like, uh, I know we had a difficult start to this year with injuries and everything, but that's, you can't, that's not really an excuse anymore, is it? I know that we were missing Ings because his partner gave birth. And like, I know that we've, Nakamba's still out or whatever. But apart from that, we're at clean bill of health now, pretty much. Now the pressure is really on like Gerard and his coaching staff to find a, you know, give us an identity and it's easier said than done, but like, what is our, what is our playing identity? We don't have one. If you had to describe to somebody who's never seen Aston Villa play and they said to you, you know, in 50 words or whatever, 50 words or less, you know, in 30 seconds, describe to me like Villa's style of football, Villa's identity. I'm not genuinely not sure I'd even know where to start, let alone where to finish. And that's a, that's a really horrible thing to be saying with, what, seven weeks left of a season or however long's left, eight weeks left of a season? I mean, it, it shows in, like, you could... It's going to come up again, and this is again every week, the, the whole Grealish thing and that being our identity prior to him leaving. But I feel like now you get to the point where you're starting to see how your previous signings of the January window last summer are working out now. And I love Danny Ings. I love Leon Bailey. I was very excited for them to come in. I'm starting to wonder what was the mindset behind that? Of course it's different manager. So you're going to set up differently. There's a different mindset ethos, whatever. I just really wonder, like you can't go into the summer and, and this is the other dangerous thing. And the whole mentality of, 
okay, well, we're not good now, but eventually we will be. Well, what's the excuse next season if it doesn't work out? Oh, next mm-hmm. season? Like, I, I get that from a football fandom kind of aspect because there's always another season and you look forward to it. But from the owners, the playing staff, coaching, whatever, at some point, you can't say that anymore. Like, mm-hmm. the whole thing around Gerard and not digging him, digging him out or anything was, because I still do believe that he'll, he'll come good at some point. Maybe that's blind faith. And maybe I'll change my mind after a few weeks and I get more frustrated. But like at some point he has to figure out his own squad. He has to Mm. figure out his own playing style. It's great to know that there's an option A, B and C to different opponents and things like that. And and that's great because I feel like that was a massive criticism of Dean Smith um, in his time at Villa at various points, albeit with a poorer squad. So I feel like that kind of has to give cut him a little bit more slack, but I don't know. You kind of you kind of sit back and you look at the, that game in particular and the last 20 minutes and the switch for Coutinho to uh, Buendia. And it was immediate. I, I mean, I, I love Felipe Coutinho. I love what he's offered. And I mean, he's created some of the best moments of the season, bar none. Um, but it almost feels like for one, he looks to me, he looks burnt out. You're going you have a player that hasn't played a full season and how long and now he's playing every game albeit there's an international break so he's still playing for brazil there's more games into his legs too it's a lot to expect mm. then you have emmy Bondia come on the pitch Watkins and him just somehow completely telepathically got together and it clicked and yeah. we looked way more dangerous and people can say oh typical villa we saw this last season where you know what it, we, it'd be too late and it, we just came back and it was just short that screamed of something else yesterday to me tom i don't know about you but to me i just kind of sat back and think you know what i feel like maybe it's time to rest coutinho i know a lot of people maybe aren't a fan of that but maybe there's something in his contract where he has to play every game we don't know but mm-hmm. i mean you for me, as much as we're trying people out, and like I do agree, you have to give Leon Bailey a run of games now because we haven't seen him play a run of games since we've uh, the, the club has bought him. Um, I don't know why I say I bought him because I didn't buy him. I don't have that much money. But um, I mean, where do you sit with that? Because like at the end of the day, we don't know if he'll be here next season in Coutinho. So why not try Buendia in the middle and see what happens? I mean, hell, we've seen what happens against United when Coutinho comes on and we we come back from 2-0 and it's 2-all. So it's not the worst thing to half off the bench, is it? It's I mean, it's that, it's that difficult thing, isn't it? I wouldn't be surprised if there is something in his, whether it's something that's stipulated, you know, like in writing in his contract that he plays, not necessarily every game. I, I, do, I do doubt that we'd make that assurance that he plays every game because that's like a... That's a big thing to put in writing. That's asking for trouble, isn't it? But like, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some kind of either official or informal guarantee that he's at least very hard to drop. Do you know what I mean? Because like, there's got to, I know he's mates with Gerard and everything, but there's got to have been a real campaign to persuade him to come to, you know, let's face it, a mid-table team who two less than two years ago were barely barely scraping survival you know like there's got to have been some level of assurances made especially as we're campaigning hard to sign him permanently in the summer you know um and this is the thing he's an, he's obviously he's clearly nobody's denying he's a really quality player and without having him and some of the magic moments we've had from him over the last few months our season would be a lot more dull wouldn't it um it'd be a lot more uh 
of a um, boring mid-table season, I guess. He's provided some real quality moments. But like the, the, the big issue for me is, again, away from home, didn't really see him very much. I don't want to place too much expectation on him, but like he's a, he's a quality player. But I think it's already becoming apparent. I agree with your assessment. That I think he does look a little bit burnt out. I think we certainly need to be very careful with how we manage his time and don't run him into the ground. But also, like it is that thing of he either he either blows a game wide open, assists, goals, just look looking every inch the magician that he was at Liverpool, or he's pretty much incongruous at best, maybe even invisible. You know, I didn't, he was getting on the ball a bit yesterday and like kind of trying to make things happen, but not to any real effect. And the, the problem I have is like two two games in a row now, either side of the international break where Emmy Buendia has come on and has changed the game. And that that's the biggest frustration with me so far. You mentioned last summer's business. Ings is difficult because like he has put up decent numbers considering that he's not always been in the team and everything, you know, especially as Ings, I think, was a was again was a very opportunistic signing. I don't necessarily think there was a plan in place for how we, he was going to fit into our system when we signed him. I think they it, they became aware that a deal was possible and they went for it during the whole thing with the Grealish thing to not quite necessarily as cynical as having some good news to throw out to make the shit sandwich taste nicer, but <laughs> but um, certainly I think it was some of the summer business we did last summer. I think was vanity signings and the real problem for me is that out of the big three bought to replace Grealish the one who's looked far and away as far as I'm concerned anyway far and away the best fit for the way that we play and the best mix of talent and endeavor in Emmy Buendia can't get in the team because of the fact that we signed okay a, a truly top class player but it's hard not to look at the Coutinho signing and say there's a certain amount of vanity to that signing as well. Whereas I know it was under uh, it was under the Smith regime, but it was common knowledge. I think that Buendia was a long term target, right? And we had we had plans in place to bring him in, and we we brought him in very early last summer because he was somebody we had earmarked for a while. This is a guy who can improve our team. We have a plan for how we're going to play through him. And okay, that stuff got put on the back burner by the managerial switch but we've seen enough as far as I'm concerned from Buendia to know that he is one of if not the biggest one of the biggest difference makers we have in our squad I thought he showed it again this weekend and for me now it's getting harder and harder to take a Villa starting 11 seriously if his name isn't in it because I just think it's almost criminal to have him sat on the bench They'll bring him on uh, in the seventy fourth minute. Like, like what was? I, do, I can't. Why can't you do I can't it in the get on board. Minute? I can't get on board with that at all. Like the leaving him out late sub six. I think I saw a stat earlier. Sixteen minutes. I think he played and he created more. Cha- he created more chances than anybody else for us yesterday. Um, he leads us, I think, in big chances created this season. Despite the fact that he hasn't been starting every game. You know, he's been in in and out of the team. Like the evidence is really stacking up that he has to be a. He has to be a one of the first names on the team sheet. And the problem is, I just don't think that Gerard is going to drop Coutinho. I don't necessarily think it's just because they're mates or whatever. I think it's, it's hard to drop a world-class player, particularly when you're trying to persuade him to sign permanently. But I just, I, 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 Brendia needs to get in the team. I don't know how you make it work. Because I, I know the two number 10s behind the one up front hasn't 
always been very hit and miss as a system. Um, whereas Watkins and Ings together has start, has shown glimpses of actually you know starting to form a partnership in recent weeks. So that does make it difficult because then you're quite clearly it's Coutinho or Buendia if you play that formation. You know you can't fit both of them in and Watkins and Ings. But I just the longer it goes on, that it, it just doesn't sit right with me having Brendier on our bench. I, I I really would love to see him in the team on a regular basis. The substitution, I'm just thinking about this now, but the substitution that was really odd to me yesterday, Tom, was um, Sanson going off for Dougie Louise. Yeah, I didn't the, really get that. It, like the, it, for me, and like obviously you're you're looking back at this now and reflecting on it, but and again, this has been a theme for. John McGinn and I I mean the value for money there there's no criticism with that he's been class and I wanted to be at Villa for a long time but every single time he goes away for Scotland and he comes back the first game back is so so poor and like it's every time it's every time he couldn't get any footing in that game yesterday I mean it 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 was typified with how the first goal went slipping and everything like that (laughs) but it's uh it just it's a really odd one where you think you leave Sanson on he looks like one of the ones that actually is able to get us a little bit further up the pitch even if we're not creating much take him again off if he's struggling and I don't know if he's another one of those I'm not going to say he's a Gerard favorite because of course when Gerard came in, there was all this stuff around how much he loves a player like John McGinn and all that kind of stuff. But John McGinn isn't a, isn't a defensive midfielder mm. by any means. He needs to be further up the pitch. And I don't want to say it's another midfield debate, but you, you look at Wolves midfield. They're not a physical midfield. It's what Dendonker and Matinho an aging Matinho yeah. if that like still class on on his day but definitely his legs aren't what they used to be they just have a very very solid back line behind them I know how to kind of I guess kind of work with the weaknesses of their midfield and it, it goes back to the whole identity kind of I wouldn't I don't know if it's a crisis but some weeks we have a game plan others I don't know what we're doing like this game started off so well in the first five minutes I didn't think Wolves would touch the ball for 20 odd minutes with the way it was going. And we were creating chances. We were pressing them very well. We intercepted the ball in some dangerous areas. Leon Bailey was pressing very well. And I thought, you know what, if he continues this, you know, it might pop up with a goal and and an assist, but it's just the, I don't want to say it's a Dean Smith mentality because that's not fair on him, but the old Villa mentality, what we're trying to move away from it's, I don't think it's as easy as just, selling players on dropping a few players it's it's in the core of this team and i don't know how you remove that mm. but at the end of the day it does have to change but let's get over to leon bailey here for a, a moment um <laughs> i know you're not the biggest fan of him um with how it's went and of course having injuries like this is massively unlucky and I, what he hasn't started since like just was it November or December 1st something like that December yeah I yeah. think it was like start of December it's been it's been a very very long time and it's frustrating and we all know we wanted to see more and we thought he's going to light this league up and I, I, I loved his pressing game yesterday but aside from that his ball control was sloppy um, his passing was sloppy um, it just I get you kind of have to play him back into form. And I, I feel like that's what Jared's trying to do with Coutinho as well. Like, like you said, you don't want to take a really world class top tier player out of the side. You want to hopefully see him play back into form, but 
I, I just feel like, again, we're, we're building all this up into the summer for things to change. And mm. I mean, it, for one, it is dangerous, but what do you make of that man in particular? I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like he's one where I sit there and think, you know, I give him some time and he's going to come good. But again, it goes down to the identity thing. Does it because, mm. or doesn't it, I should say, because we don't know how we're going to set up next season. Are we going to play with wingers? Are we not? Yeah. Are we just playing this way with one up top or two up top because of the personnel we have right now? So what do you make of him in particular? When we signed him in the summer, I was, uh, he, he, his, the signing of him excited me a lot, I have to say. Um, but he was signed for a different manager who plays a very different system. Like if, and I think now, given the way that it's gone with him with injuries and that sort of stuff, like one thing I think that we're all in, you know, in the group, we're, we're always chatting in the group chat. Uh, and I think one of the things that we're pretty much all in agreement on is that what absolutely isn't going to help him is giving him 15 minutes here, 20 minutes there, 10 minutes there. Like you're never going to, you're never going to build up a, the form, but it's not even just about the form. It's like, I wonder how much of a part of the squad he really feels because he hasn't, he just hasn't played very much. And like, he's been going away on international duty a lot, um, been injured for a fair amount. Like he still, to me, looks like a sort of individual who's been plucked from somewhere else and dropped into our team. And we're expecting him to be on the same wavelength as the rest of, as the rest of the the team. I just, I feel there's a disconnect there. And like, I know you said, I'm not the biggest fan of him and I can, (laughs) it's, it's kind of fair enough. I think he's a really good player. It's not necessarily about his quality. Like I do have to, I think his decision-making on the board is terrible, really bad, honestly. Um, but maybe that comes with not having played, you know, not having been given the time and, and everything. So I think the, the the big issue we have now for a player who we spent whatever it was, 25 million quid on, signed for a different manager for a different system when we when we were playing with out and out wingers like last year and early this year. Um, it's either sort of put up or get out now with Bailey. Like you either have to commit to him, I think, and play him regularly, which necessitates a change of system. Who are you going to leave out? Like you're going to keep leaving Brendia out. Is there no way back into the team for like, is, are we back to only one of Watkins and Ings playing? Um, you know, there's be a, there'd be a lot to work out if you're going to commit to him, Bailey starting regularly. And if you're not willing to commit to Bailey starting regularly, A, is he going to be happy to hang around as a bench player? And B, is it the best thing? Because I, I'm still seeing a lot about our oh, ba- Leon Bailey, great player to have off the bench, great player to be able to come into the side or whatever, explosive, got a moment of magic in him. Has he? Because I can remember 15 good minutes against Everton before he pulled his hammy, scoring his goal. Looked a bit has had a couple of bright moments in other games in starts or off the bench, but I think it adds up to about 30 minutes of promising football from Leon Bailey for me since we signed him. If I'm being completely honest, Um, I'm not really seeing much of a difference in terms of what you get from him, the level you get from him, consistency, quality, that sort of thing. I'm not seeing that much difference between him and Bertrand Traore, if I'm being real. I think that Leon Bailey this season in, okay, injuries and everything like it's he's he's had an unfortunate time of it but Leon Bailey to me this season so far is a worse version of what Bertrand Traore was for us last season which is inconsistent capable of a moment of magic pretty poor ball con- ball control and decision making on the ball and like hamstrings of glass I is that 
do you want to commit to that going forward if we want to take the step up from where we are now to Europe? Like, I don't want to be too critical. And he's far from the he's far from the only player who I think has serious drawbacks in our squad, obviously. And like we're a mid-table team, we have a mid-table squad. But the, the, the problem with Bailey is I really feel like he is one of those players that you've either got to commit to or you've got to say, you know what, actually, if we can get the money, if we can get the money back from you in the summer, we tried this, it didn't work out, considering we're now going in a different direction with our management and with our, you know, um aims in terms of the transfer market and stuff. Maybe we just do you just cut your losses? Do you give him a full summer, work out a way of playing with wingers or fitting him into like a number 10 or a striker role and go from there? But in, in that case, what does that mean for people like Buendia, Coutinho, Watkins, Ings? Like, again, it's it's like you were saying, it all comes back to the that lack of identity. And the real problem now, like I should take them take a moment to say, I think that, we're talking about a lot of negatives, obviously, after a defeat. One thing I will say is I do think that in Gerard and his coaching staff, we have a manager and a coaching a team of coaching staff who can take us to the next step. I believe I do believe that more from what I've seen from Gerard since he took over and whenever it was November. I've seen enough to think actually, you know, we do have a good platform to build on here. The problem is, is that, you know, with Smith before we got, before we went into that terrible run of form and then we got rid of Smith, like we were in what year three or year four of our plan with, with Smith, you know, now, because of first of all, losing Grealish and then sacking Smith in October, November, whenever it was, we're back to being four or five months in to what clearly our manager and our owner, our owners are looking at as like a long-term years long plan. Um, we're right at the start of that again now. And so taking that step from where are we now? 10 after today's results, 10th, something like that. Ninth or are we still ninth or 10th? I don't know. Anyway, I'd, I'd be very surprised if we finish in the top half this year, given the games we have left, the way things are going. Like, I think we'll probably be in the 11th to 13th bracket realistically. Um, you know, I saw a, I saw a stat earlier that like we've got eight games left, and I think we need something like six wins to match last season's points tally, which really emphasizes again how unlucky we were to not finish in the top half with the amount of points we got last season. That was really unfortunate. But like, if you look at it from a purely numerical basis, we're a long way behind. We're we're actually a long way behind where we were at the end of last season, and it's because we've had so much upheaval. And so now we're looking ahead. Okay, there's a lot of talk recruitment. I do think bringing in a the right profile of defensive midfielder will help a lot. But you're looking at another summer of huge upheaval. Minimum four or five players in. Minimum five or six players out from the first team. Like we, it, there's a long, long way to go to get to where we want to be. Even the next step of where we want to be, there's a long way to go. Um, and it's just difficult, isn't it? There's a lot of personnel decisions to make, but I just I just feel the last couple of games, Gerard and the coaching staff, as well as the players, we're just not really helping ourselves. No, and I mean, I know some Villa fans won't like me saying this, but I do envy Wolves in the sense that they have a clear identity and a clear style of play. And I mean, of course, there's the benefit of some kind of preseason 
under uh, Bruno Lodge as well. So you can maybe you can use that as an excuse, but I don't know. It's going to be one of those things where you have to sit back and wait and hopefully think that it and believe that it, it works out. It's, it's deflating. And I know a lot of people don't want to hear it, but um, unfortunately it takes time. And hopefully it's one of those things that uh, benefits us fans in the long run. But anyways, let's go over to the, I was just going to say that, I just gonna say the big thing to say, the, the, just one last final thing to say, I think, is that I'm very, very pleased that we are where we are now compared to where we were two years ago. Let's not get, you know, let's not be mistaken about that. Like, oh, yeah. I'm very pleased that we are a mid-table team and we have this. I don't want to sound ungrateful because we've come a long way in two years. It's just now it becomes a question of, okay, we're a lot better off than we were two years ago. Are we better off than we were one year ago? I'm not so sure. Yeah. I mean, you know what? I think that's something to leave up to listeners. And of course, if you want to let us know uh, how you're feeling, what you you want to discuss or what you want us to discuss, I should really say, in any future podcast, tweet us at 7500 to Holtz. Of course, you can tweet us post-match because we do three-word reviews. So I'm just going to read out a few of those right now. I think there was roughly 40 of them. So as hard as it is and as annoying as it is, thank you for uh, having your say and interacting with us because it is appreciated. So let's go to CT Yankee 71 saying better cleats, please. Um, Russ Wilson, same old shit. Um, Owen Lally. Sorry if I butchered your last name, Owen. Um, Seriously, no DM. Uh, Dave King subs earlier, please. Uh, Jonathan Fairless saying, um, what, um, um, our very own Tom Nightingale saying difficult to progress um, Burton Villa at the beach. And we'll do, I think three more here. Why not um, Abu Dhabi Villa? Not a big fan of uh, Stevie G. Apparently Scouse Sherwood exposed. I got a kick out of that one. Um, David F Z C Bailey was poor and we'll finish with uh, let's go to Pete saying another shit shower. Um, I guess you could have said another shower of sh- no, that's four. Never mind. But anyways, I was trying to be clever there. If I was going to say one, um, Emmy Buendia, please. That's all I'm going to leave that at. But uh, we'll have to leave that up to Stephen Jared in and the coaching staff. But uh, Tom, it, it's painful to nominate a, a player of the match, a man of the match. Give your match balls, whatever you want to call them. I feel like there's a million names for them. But um, if there was one that you want to give some tiny little gesture to who would it be uh from the from the starting 11 uh i'd, I'd say morgan sanson i really would i like i didn't didn't have a fantastic game because nobody did but i've seen a lot of criticism of him online from yes you know like yesterday's performance i've seen things along the lines of you know you wait you wait months for a start or whatever and that's the kind of performance you put in i think that's really harsh I thought he did. I thought he did a pretty decent job considering he hasn't been playing regular football. I thought he really made a case for having a place in that midfield, especially when you've got people like Ramsey needs game management. I think he's played a lot of football at such a young age. McGinn's consistency is all over the place. Like in in in, that, in those kinds of situations, like I think players like Morgan Sanson deserve more of a shot. And I, I thought he did pretty well with his opportunity yesterday. Um, and then as an honorary mention, honorary mention, Emmy Puentia, because he just he changed the game when he came on. Please, can we see him more? Please. 
Yeah, just give us a little bit more of that Argentinian magic. But uh, from one Argentine to the other, uh, maybe this is more sympathetic. Um, it's who I gave my uh, player of the match to on the player ratings on the website. So do go check those out if you want to suffer for a little bit longer. Um, but I'm going with Emmy Martinez purely because he would have had a realistically, he would have had a clean sheet if we would have actually just kind of showed up for the first half, in my opinion. Uh, still made three or four key saves throughout the game. His distribution yesterday, albeit with not many opportunities, was pretty good um, in terms of how Wolves are pressuring him and pressing him at times. So uh, for a lot of sympathy, I should say, I'm going to give it to him. I, I do really feel bad for him. But anyways, I know we're short on time here. So we're going to we're gonna wrap this one up here. It's very short and sweet this week. Um, we should be back on Thursday or Friday for an opposition match preview or some kind of match preview at least. So do keep an eye out for that. And of course, the following Monday, we should be back to recap Spurs. Hopefully it's a positive draw or win because I'm tired of losing right now and we don't need to go for another four or five losses on the bounce because we all know what it does to our sanity. But anyways, we'll leave it there and don't forget uh, the villa. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.